You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast. I had to go to CBA school, salary cap school, and tampering school. Can't say, hey, I want you to come to the Lakers, even though I'm going to be wink, winking like. <laughs> On basketball and other shenanigans. I mean, good for you. I mean, you probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> you don't have that clutch connection. I have a job to do. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, I say, man. Hey, I say, hey, yo, Jermichael, he turns around. I'm like, you know Lakers coming for that ass this year, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Eddie Sun. Some voters just like to be contrarian, you know, whether it's for clicks, whether it's for just because you they like to be contrarian. contrarian. Yes, you do. That's true. I feel like, like Eddie going to be the type to be like, case. MVP? James Harden. We're not against rap. We're not against rappers. But we are against those analytics. The analytics. And Julio Martinez. Braun just frustrates me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. You've been hyping up this game. Obviously, it's a big game. He he looks juice for it. Bro, just score the ball. Everybody just thinks I'm a hater. That is blasphemous. And, and, and you know what's that reminiscent of? That was, you know, MVP Steph season. Oh, right? here we go. He was getting here we go. Game. All right, y'all. It's been a he great episode. Fourth quarter. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball ball. Welcome to the final edition of Hoop and Holler for the 2019-2020 season. It's been a lengthy one and finally capped off with a championship for the Los Angeles Lakers, the first in 10 years for them. Um, I'm your host, Eddie Sun, as always, joined by the Lakers fans in-house, Julio and Reagan. And obviously, they're having a much better time than I am, so I'll just send this question first. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10... How enjoyable was this season and its result at the end for you guys? Ooh, that's a tough question. I'm, mm. I'm going to let you go first. Mm, you're going to put me on the spot. <sighs> I would rate, as a Lakers fan or as a basketball fan? Just as, as a person. Like, what do you feel? On a scale of 1 to 10, like, with 1 being most disappointed and 10 being, like, the most elated you've ever felt. About this season? Like, the season and the result essentially like the process of winning the championship and the championship itself okay so i'm gonna look at this from a lakers fans point of view um it i would give it around a seven eight and you know the way i do those things is like on a hundred scales if i'm grading a test then that's like it's probably about an 80 i you know it's an 80 on the test and for me it's like it was just such an emotionally exhausting season that, you know, you're just tired by the end of it. And that's that's kind of what I felt like the result is. And I'm happy about the result. It means a lot. But, you know, there's the fatigue that I you go through as not just a Lakers fan, but a basketball fan over the course of this tumultuous season. You're just tired by the end of it. And it's almost like, you know, this victory, but you just want to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm sure that's how Bron feels right now. I'm sure that's how AD feels. It's like, yes, man, we did it. Let's get up out of Orlando. Let's get up out of the bubble. Let's go home to our folks. I'm done here. We're tired, man. So I'd give it about eight and a half, eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, as a Lakers fan, uh, the I give it a nine and a half. I would say ten just because, you know, the tragedy with Kobe and, you know, us winning the championship just means so much. But the reason why I won't give it a ten is because it's not the championship, you know, the best Lakers championship that I've ever watched. And the best uh, Lakers championship I've ever watched was Lakers versus Celtics. Seven games, uh, and, and the teams were more evenly matched. And it was just physical, heated, down to the wire. Kobe played like trash game seven. Metal World Peace out of, you know, uh, uh, out of everyone else just saves us on that last shot. D Fish hit some clutch shots, so... I mean, it was more, uh, I mean, we've been talking about this, like, we love games that are nail-biting down to the wire, um, and those what that's what that series embodied. This series was a little bit different, but, you know, as a whole means just so much to the Lakers community just because of what happened to Kobe this year and uh, his family. And, you know, LeBron, I mean, I mean uh, although he came to L.A. for, you know, uh, reasons more than basketball. Uh, he understood that coming to you know 
he's already one of the players you know that receives the most criticism or one of the most criticism in the NBA and just coming to LA is just gonna you know push that even higher so you know taking that pressure he obviously traded for AD but it's it's big time it is big time so uh, there there's no, you know nothing else to do but to praise him and what he had to you know go through I guess what I'm trying to get at and obviously, um, for me as like a Warriors fan, this is right like very distant, right? It's like not not a Lakers fan, uh, not e- not even a Heat fan, not a fan of any team in this bubble, not a fan of any team that had any implications this season, personally. And of course, I couldn't be very biased here, but it felt like um, the kind of outcome, right? Like the championship, it doesn't feel like the normal emotions that yeah. follow a championship. And maybe that's just me, like very distant yeah. from it. But I don't know whether. The vibe is the See, same from you guys, or, but or whether I, you get the same I, feeling. Yeah, I kind of extrapolated from that, though. Just, like, the Lakers experience. Obviously, when, you know, they won and they were all cheering and stuff, you didn't see the fans in the background. Mm-hmm. And the you didn't hear them. And they make a huge difference. You see a confetti and everybody's high-fiving each other. You see all the celebrities, especially at Staples Center. You see all the celebrities uh, uh, courtside. Um, you hear the music blazing. Um, and it's just a different vibe. And whenever, you know, somebody says something, you're 2020 NBA champs, Adam Silver says it, the crowd goes wild. This time it's like, you're 2020 NBA champs or your finals MVP, LeBron James. Crickets, you know. <laughs> Piped in sound. It, it's, it's different. It's different. Yeah. But I, I kind of extrapolated it from that to, to make it more about the moment itself. And, you know, Away from that, I guess if you take that into account, it, it did feel kind of weird and less, I guess. I think the reason why it doesn't hit as hard for me is because usually when we think about the NBA championship, that is the climax of the NBA season, right? But I feel like the season had just so many things that occurred in the midst of it that we already experienced so many climaxes prior to getting to the championship pause on that but it's like it's like it was a climax (laughs) but it's like it's like climax rudy gobert you know like he pick a different okay he's like oh okay uh uh, I, defining high moment, point. okay, right? The high high point, defining moment. Rudy Gobert test positive coronavirus. They gotta shut the entire thing down. Defining moment. They come out with this plan for the bubble. Defining moment. The social justice movement that we seeing. The defining moment. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks strike and the players have to have a, a, a discussion on what to do to move forward. Defining moment. They make these demands. So there were so many defining moments that kind of as meaningful. I mean, defining moment. Kobe Bryant passes away. There's so many things that happened prior to the dot. Like, exact. There's so many things that happened prior to this championship. It's like, as I'm, I'm, I, have, I don't have a lot to give to this moment because it was already given to those moments well, for me, man. Yeah, well, to me, it's also the, the, the fact that, you know, when, when you get to an NBA championship, you're used to seeing, uh, uh, you know, Braun versus KD, Braun versus Steph, uh, you know, KD versus, you know, the top players. And you, you had LeBron. And as much as I love Jimmy Butler, no one recognizes Jimmy Butler to be, you know, you know, uh, he he might be like KD LeBron. He might be competing to take the throne away from LeBron. So I think there was a little bit of part of that too. But e- even then, you will never catch me saying that you know this season was an ast oh, no. had an asterisk. Oh, no. uh, uh, you know, look, this championship doesn't count for LeBron. Um, e- even then, so. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to, there's there's a balance, I, I guess. I think we're just so used to, right? Like, every year prior to, to this year, it's been about the championship. It was about the Warriors versus the Cavs. It was about Steph and LeBron and KD and LeBron. It was about Kawhi Leonard versus Steph and Curry and what was going to happen there. You know what I mean? That's what it was about when we got to that point. But this season was just about so many other things that happened. That's not what, to me, this season isn't about the Lakers winning the championship. It's about so many different things that um, it's just not at the forefront of my mind when I think about the 2019-2020 NBA season. So I guess that's why it just doesn't hit the same as it normally would. I'm still happy. I'm still satisfied as a fan. But, you know, just the emotional turmoil that you go through throughout the course of the season, that kind of, you know, because I was so invested in all of those other things, um, you know, my investment in this is not as as far, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this definitely 
doesn't mean that there has to be some sort of asterisk on the season. And I hate that that's even something that's being uh, thrown out there. But um, it's also disingenuous, I think, uh, if, if uh, people, whatever, talking heads go out and say that, like, this is the, like, the greatest moment in the franchise or, like, the most meaningful championship oh, no. in Lakers history or, the, or, as Mark Jackson said on TV, the, the toughest championship in, you know, the history of the league ever. Um, it's, it's, it's really neither of those things, I feel like. And, um, it's just, I think as you said, Reagan and, and Julio, you also said this, that there, there's been so much that happened this season, um, whether it's positive or negative, just kind of bombshells. And it's definitely felt like, um, a, a, along with the whole, you know, bubble setup and all that, that, um, I don't, I don't want to say that it takes away from the championship, but it's definitely something we've never it does, like, experienced It, it definitely before. doesn't take away. The moment is what the moment is, and you can tell on the players' faces it's just, just as meaningful to them as it would be any other championship. When you see the elation on Anthony Davis's face and the emotion in LeBron's face, these guys cared about winning this thing, but you know, just bigger things were at play this season. And we can get into that, and, and we've gotten into that in this podcast. There were so many larger things that were bigger than the Larry O'Brien trophy that mattered this season. Um, so because of the proximity of those things to this championship, it just doesn't feel the same. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if I lift a 50-pound weight, if I'm doing, a, a, what, what is it called, bicep curls with a 50-pound weight, it's going to feel a little bit easier when I pick up the 20-pound weight and I do bicep curls. So the, the, the championship is a 20-pound weight that still carries weight, but, you know, there were just so many things that carried more weight that happened this year, man. And credit to the NBA for pulling this off, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there, there, was ver- there were various points at which the NBA fans just thought the NBA season was just going to be canceled, no season, when's the next season going to start, blah, 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 blah. I mean, credit to Adam Silver, the NBA, uh, and for, you know, hearing his players out on, on, you know, on other things, you know, outside of basketball. So I just want to credit the NBA and then obviously credit the Miami Heat for getting to this point. And, you know, I don't want to diss Miami or anything because, I mean, you guys know or the listeners know that that's my second favorite team in the NBA as of right now. Um, but, yeah, it, it they just played so hard and they deserve to be there and, you know, um, just watch out. Just watch out next year. Hopefully. I guess, well, we should talk about the game even though there might not be that much to talk about. Um, and we said on the previous episode, at least I think me and Julio, we said this, that while Miami looked really energized and, and you know, they embody that fighter spirit, um, after that game five where it felt like they expended a lot of energy, it's gonna, it was going to be really hard for them to come back this game and have that same kind of determination that they need to defeat the Lakers. And they came out looking like, you know, they couldn't really get to that extra gear. And once once they couldn't figure out where to get a consistent source of offense, um, they really sputtered. And a lot of that was because of the Lakers, and, and they played absolutely masterful defense in the first half and really limited all, all sorts of opportunities. And... Um, by the time halftime really rolled around, the game was all but over. Yeah, and th- that that's credit to Frank Vogel. And, and, you know, obviously the players for taking up, you know, that pride and taking up that challenge. Um, but the Lakers, you know, I- I've said this various times, the Lakers were not known as a good perimeter defense all year long. And, and you know, compounded on that, you lose Avery Bradley. I mean, that's just a tough, tough loss. So, you know... Credit to Frank Vogel. I said this to you guys. He's actually, when you look back at it, like he's the ideal, like should have been number one candidate. And I know he was our number three or number four, but he should have been our number one candidate. And he threw all that, you know, Jason Kidd, you know, uh, Lionel Hollins, uh, you know, this superstar team of coaching that's going to somehow undermine Frank Vogel and eventually get him fired. Uh, all that is thrown out the window now because Frank Vogel is the perfect mix of, you know, he has no ego, but he, you know, he, yet he holds kind of like this weight in the locker room where like he, I don't want to say he's a hard ass, but he's not a pushover either. Mm-hmm. And he has enough of a, you know, basketball IQ. And I, I feel like Re- LeBron respects him enough, even though he's not, he wasn't, you know, an NBA player. Um, 
you know, LeBron respects him enough when he was coaching those Indiana teams that that gave, you know, Miami trouble when LeBron was in Miami. So I think he's a perfect blend of so many things as a leader. He also lets his superstars, you know, be superstars. And he's just a perfect blend of so many things. So he's a guy that can't be for, forgotten out of this equation. Yeah, he's, he's somebody who I don't want, I'm not sure unassuming is the correct word, but he allowed guys like LeBron, guys like AD. There are so many personalities on that team. Even when we talk about JR, JaVale, Dwight, Dwight um, we look at the bench and we look at Jason Kidd and his history. We have Lionel Hollins who has a history as a head coach. There were so many people that needed space to breathe and be who they were. And it, credit to Frank Vogel for allowing them to do that and still keeping the ship going in the right direction. And That's what we needed as the Lakers. Somebody who could keep everything steady, even though, you know, we talk about like a, a membrane, right? And everything's kind of fluid within the membrane, but it's still within that cell wall. I'm not sure if I use that. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> but it's like kind of that vibe, right? Where it's like as long as there's something around everything to make sure everything stays in the right direction and everything can maintain fluidity within that, Frank Vogel did a really good job. And, and there's pressure on him too. I, I mean, you win. It, it, I mean, you didn't win. LeBron won. And if you lose, it's all your fault. So, I mean, again, credit to Frank Vogel for taking on that challenge. So, um yeah, and, I, and I, I just have so much respect for and him. And I think the crazy thing is um, Frank Vogel will probably get his flowers for just how well the team played throughout the bubble and throughout the season. Um, and I'll be honest, I think coming into the season, and I wasn't the only person who thought that there are a lot of clashing personalities um, on this Lakers team. There is a lot of coaches that maybe wouldn't mesh together Um the front office and, and leadership didn't exactly have the best uh, track record going into this season. And um, added on top of that, it's hard to recall the last season uh, that a LeBron-led team didn't have some sort of turmoil or drama or something extracurricular pop-off. And that's definitely big props to um, everyone in the Lakers organization this year, that it seemed like it was a really seamless um you know, a, a seamless, non-confrontational, like, very minimal conflict, like, throughout the season. Like, you didn't hear any reports of a player being disgruntled or a coach feeling pressured or, you know, a GM and, and a coach disagreeing. And, and those are things that... That was cross town. That, that's true. That's true. And I mean, like, you see this with... And I mean, the Clippers are a good example where early in the year, you already saw, like, Montrez talking about he's unhappy with, with how uh, the star players and their mentality or something like that. And it's definitely... It's definitely a, a really big surprise to me that we didn't see any of that from the Lakers this year, and that and that's not even to be snarky or anything, but it's just I it's hard for me to remember the last time that a LeBron led team didn't have some sort of, you know, trail following him of of kind of like speculation, and I think that's definitely really big props that that the Lakers definitely had a lot of fun in playing great basketball this year, and that's. Um, that that's always what you want to see from a championship championship team. You know, you don't want to see your best team in the league, kind of like hate playing with each other while being successful. I think the thing with the Lakers was just that there was a pretty clear definition of what that team was going to be before anyone stepped foot on the court, right? You had LeBron at the focal point. You had AD right by his side or behind him, however you want to look at it. I don't think the two of them really care about how that dynamic operates but then you had finite role players who knew exactly what they were supposed to be there for and nothing beyond that right Alex Caruso that's a guy who was not supposed to be in the position that he's currently in um Dwight Howard he had to come in on a contract that was non-guaranteed and he could have left the building at any point JaVale McGee you tell JaVale McGee to go run through a wall he'll go run through a wall for you like you know there's a bunch of players on that team who really just don't really care about all the extra BS they're kind of extra personalities but they don't really care about whether they're getting enough touches per game or whether they're putting enough shots up. Um, so it was a pretty you know seamless fit once we saw it operate on the court. But I can understand why there were concerns preseason, um, just given that, you know, you look at, you know, a Rondo and a JaVale, it's like, oh, no, it's another cast of goofies like we had last year, right, where it was like Lance Stevenson and um, a bunch of the Michael Beasley. It's just a bunch of randos that we tried to throw together. But, you know, there was a little bit more of uh, um, rhyme and reason to this. There was a little bit more of... of uh, what do they call? What's the saying? Where it's like, uh, 
a plan behind the insanity or something like that. I don't think I used it right, but there was a little bit more order here is what I'm trying to say in terms of how the team actually Method functioned. To the Method to the Method madness. To the madness. What did I yeah. say? Order to the insanity. <laughs> that yeah. sounds like a rock band name, bro. And, and when you see Frank Vogel during the game, you know, he he's not a guy that's going to like lash out on his team like, you know, a David Blatwood, you, you know, who who you know, credit to David Blatt, you know, he's a good coach whatever, but you know, he, he just, you know, unlike Frank Vogel, didn't know how to handle personality or certain personalities. So, like, Frank Vogel's, again, he's not going to lash out on anyone, you know, on the team. He, he'll sit back, let his team try to figure it out. But he's also not going to let himself be pushed over. And he, he can get on the team when they are doing well, when they aren't hustling. So, um, you know, just, just credit to the whole team in general. Uh, happy that Jason Kidd got one as a coach. Uh, do, you, do you guys think he's gone? Jason Kidd? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if teams are interested, If huh? teams were interested in him, they would have interviewed him already. Yeah. I think. yeah. All the vacancies have pretty much been... Pelicans? I, I don't think they're going to hire You don't think Lonzo and stuff? That would no. be interesting. It'd be interesting. David, I'm not I mean, sure David, if that works. David Griffin's their GM, and he doesn't seem like a guy who would want to deal with Jason Kidd. Mm. To That's him. true. And... um. I mean, fair or not, that is, there's just a history of how Jason Kidd was in Milwaukee and, and the tension between management and all that. But, um, I mean, that is to be seen. But I, I want to flip it to the Miami side. And I think it was kind of um, inevitable that they were going to um, lose this game after we saw kind of how they came out and yeah. played. So it's, it's really hard to blame any player or, or blame Spolstra. Or, it's, it just happened to be the Lakers are the better team. Miami had to fight to get to this point, and they ran out of energy. But um, I do want to mention that people are criticizing Jimmy Butler um, for for not being aggressive enough for, for for how people paint him as you know like if he if, if he's going to be painted as the superstar as like the elite number one option that he can't have um, one game where he's absurdly great and another game where he's kind of just laying low in the shadows and I don't think Jimmy Butler has a ever has like a destructive game or ever has like a bad game per se but I think you can clearly see in this game and a lot of this can be attributed to his fatigue but that they needed him to be that number one option step up to the plate um, and take over be aggressive and he wasn't doing that Um, I mean he finished the game 12 uh, and 7. Yeah, with, with only 10 shots. And I mean, again, a lot of the numbers, just because of the nature of the game, like you don't, it, it's hard to say how it would have turned out if it was closer. But I think it was obvious that um, he wasn't the same he looked in a, in game three or game five. Yeah, I, 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 I'll attribute most of that. And I, I hate to do this because it sounds like an excuse, but he really did look done to me. And for, for all, you know, jokes aside, when I saw that video of the press conference, like, that just confirmed every thought that I had. Like, bro just looked like he was done. Like, he couldn't go anymore. And that that might not be a valid excuse, and, I, you know, I, I get that. But um, I, I do understand that that is a part of his game that he doesn't look enough for his shot when his team needs it, him to. And, you know, Eddie, Eddie said, you know, from a very early point in the game that, you know, if Miami doesn't find their source of offense, I, I think it was like 13 to 8 at that point when Eddie said this. But if Miami doesn't find their source of offense soon, con- that, you know, a consistent source of offense, they're going to be done early. And that's, that's what happened. So that's why I think they need, you know, another piece to really complete that team and move forward in the future and feel confident about that team. Obviously, we'll get to that later. But I just think they need another piece. Another piece, or I think just the development of the dudes that they currently have would do a great deal, right? We've seen flashes of it from Tyler Hero. We've seen flashes of it from Kendrick Nunn. We've seen flashes. I mean, you can't even call it a flash at this point with Bam Adebayo. It's been pretty consistent. But when we talk about particularly the offensive end, right, they have guys who can get their own, but it's not consistent enough to be reliable yet. I think when you get guys like Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero to develop a little bit more, get a little bit more comfortable in those situations, maybe you don't even need another guy. Maybe you just need those guys to continue to stay on their track of development and take another step up next season. Uh, it'd be nice to have a Giannis or a Victor Oladipo, but I have faith in Miami's player development. They've already done a hell of a job with those guys in-house after one year. Um I want to see what they do with two, three years. And obviously, Jimmy's window is not going to last forever. Yeah. But what is he now, 28? No, he's like 31. He's 31. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing. Ooh, maybe you need another guy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but the thing about being a 
championship contending team in the league is that you have to have at least one star and and best have two stars and not not just stars like superstars right and i think we can all agree that the clear mark of a superstar is someone who just brings something extraordinary um to the table night in night out i think he he does exactly that for that team specifically you think jimmy butler does yes leadership that that's something but that's like, extraordinary Leadership, but like production. pushing guys, and and that's what I'm saying. Like this again. This is what I was saying about Jimmy Butler last episode. Not a knock on is he good or bad as a player, um, but there is just a clear distinction between upper echelon superstars and really really good star players. Well, I mean, when you talk about upper echelon, you're you're only talking about to me, Katie, LeBron, Kawhi, and Steph, and Harden. Uh, no, he, it's might fun. Have, he, might have, he might have to move it's fun. down. I was just saying that on he, your behalf. I thought you thought. It's funny. No, I, he, I, mean, I mean, he might have to move down. But on, on that second level, I'm willing to put Jimmy there. I put, yeah. I, I I was sitting down the other day. I decided to make, like, as of right now, who I would really be to be the top 15 players in the NBA. Because it's mean, like, definitely changed. We usually say, and I think this is usually a good number for a lot of people, that there are about, like, six to eight superstars, right? Like, right? Superstars in the league, right? Yeah. I don't quite put Jimmy Butler, but he's like the 10th. I had him at 10. Yeah. I think that's about the range that he's and That's what I'm saying. Like, he's really close, but again, like what is not getting him to that level is just Consistent that scoring. Consistent scoring, and I don't think that's really his skill, right? Like if you asked him to yeah. get 35 or, or 30 or 25 a night, it probably is not, you know, not, not playing to his skills. But in doing that, you also lose him... I'm not going to say you lose him on defense, but you're just not getting Jimmy Butler on defense. True. And again, like that, that's the limitations of Jimmy Butler as a player. I think he's damn good, and, and this is the perfect team for him. And for that team to get this far is about right for that team's potential, I think. But um, again, because again, people are talking about Jimmy Butler and whether we had it wrong the whole time. Like, is he just at best like a second round exit player? Is he really a, a number one superstar? It's somewhere in between. And I yeah. think, what? again, we, we kind of now know what type of player Jimmy Butler is. And he we know for sure that you can have him on a team and get to the finals and, and get very far in the To finals. me, though, he shouldn't get any criticism. He should only get praise for, for this season. What you just said is the most important thing to me, is that that Miami team exhausted every last bit of its potential. And they reached the absolute, I think, six games against the Los Angeles Lakers in the, in the NBA Finals. That's about as much as you could have possibly expected out of this Miami team, unless you were absolutely insane. And they got to that point because of Jimmy Butler and who he is as a player and as a leader. So I think that when we talk about a guy who can get you to that point and squeeze every ounce of potential that a team has, it might not be a superstar, but it's a, it's a damn good player. And when we talk about not just in terms of how you play on the court, but the value you bring to a, a locker room, um, I can understand why. I'm not sure I agree with you, Julio, but I can understand why you would say he's a superstar in this league. Um, just because that that I mean, who who and how many players in the league can we honestly say you put them on a team in the right situation, and that's a guy who can get as the lead player a team to Game Six in the NBA Finals. There's not many dudes like that in the league. Yeah, I mean, again, like super. Well, not I guess I just said he's not a superstar, but like really good players, like stars and superstars who find themselves in the perfect teams for them to succeed. Like, that's really a rarity. So do you so that. do you put, like, Jimmy and Dame in the same realm? I think Jimmy's a... Mm, I, I, I would put, yeah, I would in put the them same in the same If they the were same in the bubble. same tier, mm. I would the same put... Tier? I, I would say same tier, but Jimmy's uh, maybe a step I, ahead of Dame. I, I would consider Jimmy a better leader. I, well, same, I guess. I, I can't speak to leadership ability, I mean, uh, but... I, I don't know, but... On the defensive end, all I know is that Jimmy Butler, you know, has that edge. Sure, but, um, and like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'd have to think about this question, but um, just Dame being able to come in game after game and, and, you know, drop 30 consistently, if not more, and, and have, like, force defenses to respect him yeah. in, in so many different ways is just um, very few players have that sort of ability. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have Dame ranked ahead of Jimmy, but I'm just saying, same tier. I don't. Same tier. I, I have. I mean, the only reason why I wouldn't is, is because that Jimmy, again, and people don't really care or, or don't, I don't know if they abide by this, but I just, I I, I, I guess wing players are just more useful than And I mean, I guards. think this, this is a testament to Jimmy that his natural basketball ability, I think, is not really that 
outstanding. Like it's not really that great, but he absolutely gets all of the like, most of it. The most of it, yeah. like maybe more than any other player in the league, because again, he's so smart. He, you know, he works really hard and he knows his spots and he knows how to work within. Now this Miami Miami Heat team construct that really gets the best out of him. And again, that that's props to him, but um, there's a limit to that, and that limit was running into LeBron and AD. And you know, there's only so much you can really do about that. I think that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I mean, th- that's like a, it's one of those things to where, again, I ask how many players in the league could accomplish what Jimmy did. In, in when you say put them in their ideal situation, but they don't have any superstars next to them, they have one all star that's like not a scoring threat. Right? How many dudes can we say can achieve what Jimmy did this year? And even I think some of the guys that we would classify as superstars in this league couldn't I mean, they, accomplish what. Yeah, because they, they wouldn't have played as hard and, and tried to maximize. Exactly. Like so I think when we I mean when we think about a guy like Paul George, I'm sure that's a guy that you might have ranked ahead of Jimmy Butler. Even Kawhi Leonard. You you just swap Kawhi and Jimmy Butler. That team does not sniff the NBA Finals. I'll, I'd say that with you know full confidence. That team does not sniff the NBA Finals because of the culture mm-hmm. that he. I don't think so. I, I I can say so. Paul George. Like, I mean, when we talk, when we talk <laughs> very confident. But when we think about the culture that you come and establish, right? The culture that Jimmy established there, and then that there was no hierarchy. There was you know a, a freedom of players to grow and, and learn. Um, and be themselves, and you saw that from Tyler Hero and his development. You saw it from Bam Adebayo. I'm not sure Kawhi Leonard comes in and establishes that sort of environment for other dudes to flourish like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that with confidence. I don't think Kawhi Leonard could have been as great as – this isn't an indictment on Kawhi Leonard at all. Kawhi Leonard's a great player. I have him ahead of him uh, of Jimmy Butler on my list. But this is more of a, a, a flowers given to Jimmy Butler in terms of what he did, not just on the basketball court, but in terms of establishing a culture – um, I don't even think Kawhi could have accomplished what, what Jimmy did with Miami. Good points, good points. I want to do a little retrospective on this season that spanned more than 365 days. You know, mm. just totally wacky, no one saw this coming season. And I kind of want to go back to one of the first episodes we did when we talked about preseason predictions. Um, when I called Cat a top ten player this season, but that's besides the point. We didn't come I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think uh, we Yo. all kind of agreed on when we were doing our kind of predictions that this season would be such a refreshing season. Um, yeah, we were so naive yeah. at the time to think that it wouldn't be refreshing for other reasons, mm-hmm. but that yeah. there would be like new parity in this league. Yeah, that you know the Lakers were about to be you know a, a dominant team again with the Clippers. And, you know, you had the Bucks, and everyone talked about the Sixers then as well. You know, people thought the Warriors might still be good. Essentially, there would have been a lot more competitiveness during this season. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering now, at the end of it all, do you feel like this season, like, kind of lived up to the billing of that kind of competitiveness? That, like, m- more, like, equal playing field? Like, I, I, dominant I think so. And people forget about the NBA bubble. E- even though people, you know, may may believe that it didn't end with the NBA Finals that everyone, I guess, wanted to see or a very, very competitive series, the bubble still gave us amazing games and amazing series. Like, let's not let this series taint uh, our whole bubble experience with, you know, the Miami and Buck series. I guess, you know, to me, that's the definition of NBA kind of like parity that a team like that could lose to a five seed in the East. Mm. And uh, the Nuggets came, you know, came up. Uh, They're going to be real and better next season. The The greatest, the greatest guard matchup in NBA history, in NBA playoff history, excuse me. Donovan Mitchell versus Jamal Murray. Oh, that was Let us not forget about that guard-to-guard matchup. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. So all all I have to say is that, listen— not let this, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, uncompetitive last series of the NBA bubble, you know, taint our perspective on NBA parity because it was here and it will be here in the future. Oh, yeah, I agree. When, it's picked, particularly when we look at the Eastern Conference, right? That was a straight toss-up. When we think about, like, we had, and people had ideas, right? People thought Milwaukee, but when we're looking back on it, none of us had a Clue like you had Milwaukee, I, no, no, the, or you had I chose the, the Sixers, Celtics, the Sixers, Sixers, right? Like an, initially, initially, right? Okay, initially. and you had I'm pretty sure I had the Bucks, the Bucks, and I, I forget who I had, but throughout the season, like there was really 
no certainties when it came to the East, and you saw a fifth seed ultimately come out and push the Lakers to six games. Bless that. I mean, six games is a pretty darn good series. It's not seven games, but it's about as good as you can get if it's not going to go to seven games, right? So I think that, you know, the parity in the NBA, it's definitely there and it's going to continue to get better as we see guys like Luka Doncic continue to develop as we see guys like Donovan Mitchell continue to progress their game the Nuggets are coming Devin Booker like folks are coming these young dudes are coming I forgot about Luka like Luka I mean folks (laughs) are like these this 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 these uh these teams are not jokes man from the one to the eighth seed ninth seed and even tenth seed these teams are coming that's yeah no that that's the I mean that that's the really crazy thing and and we'll probably get into you know looking ahead into next season whenever that's going to be but um just in terms of this season i think that the parody was maybe the biggest um point of like marketing for the nba this year because you know they had five straight or um before last year's finals like five straight years of lebron versus warriors um, Mm -hmm. or Cavs versus warriors and then you know it was still like you know the golden state dynasty last year right and then now this was supposed to be like such a changing of the guard and it's almost ironic that at the end of the day, it was still, you know, LeBron-led team winning the finals. Like, sometimes your greatest product, your greatest player, your biggest star just ends up being on top. And um, I don't I don't think that takes away from the idea that there was, like, great parity this year. But um, also, the, the idea that I think that this playing field was, like, really flattened and that everything was a toss-up. Um, at the end of the day, like, you have the two best uh, players like two of the top five players in the league on your team, it's hard to lose. Yeah. I mean, but did we, were we like fully confident saying that going into the season? Or even no, before no, going I mean, into the bubble? You know what I mean? That is just the confidence. Like mm-hmm. when we talk about the Warriors and, and the Cavaliers, I could sit back and gamble my college tuition on it. Yeah. The Warriors are going to meet the co- the Cleveland Cavaliers yeah. in the NBA Finals this year. We could have bet on that for four straight years. You know Definitely. what I mean? So they, we, like even though it did end up being the two best, play, the best duo in the league ended up winning the NBA Finals, there was still a ride to be had. And I think that's what people missed about the NBA um, prior prior to the Warriors and the Cavs rivalry is that there was no ride to be had. We already knew what the conclusion was, and that's why it was the, that climax point. Sorry for using that word again. That high point at the end of the season um, between the Warriors and the Cavs because that's what we were all waiting on. It's like, okay, we're not going to have any sort of questions or anticipation until we get to this point. But there was that anticipation because there was the unknown. No, no, de- definitely. And, and at the beginning of the season, I chose I, I said Lakers versus Sixers. But in saying Lakers, I was just being hopeful. So I really meant the Clippers, mm. you know, when I when I said the Lakers, but I was just being, you know, a Lakers fan. Um, and, you know, that just speaks to my uncertainty. And, and when I said the Sixers, I felt like, you know, I felt like Boston w- was maybe a little bit too young and they, they would need a year to get used to them or with their new team with Kemba Walker, you know, at the point guard position. I never believed in Giannis. Uh, who was another team? The Nets weren't there yet. Toronto. Toronto. I I thought they'd miss Kawhi, but I did kind of have him in the mix. So I guess my default was the Sixers. But again, that's just my default. So I, I I didn't feel like super super confident. And again, like Reagan said, throughout the season, I mean, it, it was it was kind of it was kind of a toss up. Other than the Clippers, it, it was kind of a toss up for the East. And I mean, like I think I'm with you that um, even now that they're you know obviously not trying to say hindsight or whatever, but of course there's a possibility that if the playoff results went a different way and if the Clippers had to meet the Lakers or if um, Toronto had to meet Miami, or, or if Toronto didn't meet Boston, like all sorts of different things could have ended up in, you know, a different final series. But at the same time, I also wonder if we did overlook the idea that top talent usually wins out in the league, and that LeBron and Anthony Davis is a uh, duo that can't be matched by any other team, I think, in the league, at least this season. Did Miami kind of defy that, though? Yes, to about as much point, as they could have, right? But like, also, nothing quite compares to LeBron and Anthony Davis, I think. And perhaps a lot of people kind of overlook that coming into the year. Maybe because Anthony Davis didn't quite prove himself. Obviously, LeBron was coming out, uh, coming from a down year, uh, by his standards, obviously. But I mean, I do wonder whether we kind of bought too much into this idea of parity that we kind of overlooked that LeBron had his greatest teammate like he's ever played with and this is LeBron James you know what I mean I'm not sure it's 
quite that black and white just because I look at the Los Angeles Clippers and the talent that they had, right? It's not quite when you look at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They have far more talent. It's they, like, they, they have I'm far not, more collective talent, but in terms of top-tier talent... I don't think it's top-tier talent that made the difference here. I think it was talent plus culture. And I think that you know the, the Miami Heat were a strong example of what culture can do for a team. And the Lakers simply, you know, byproduct of having LeBron James and Anthony Davis on top of what was, you know, a pretty good culture within that locker room. That's what was ultimately what made the, the this championship possible. They had the top tier talent and they had the culture behind it. And I think the Clippers showed that, you know, if you don't have a strong culture behind that top tier talent, it's going to fold. And then that the Heat showed there's only so much that a culture can do for you. You got to have both. And mm-hmm. we think about the Warriors in years past, talent and culture. So I, I think if, if nothing else, it's proved that you need both of those things not one or the other you need both of those things to make it to the pinnacle mm-hmm. i mean in my opinion i still feel like you know after watching this whole season after watching you know basketball all those years before that it's still a lot of talent and you got to sprinkle in the right recipe of culture to make things work um but you, you, like you need the talent and, and the talent a lot of times defies all other kind of attributes of the game but um, I also want to throw you guys this question about the season, um, about what you guys think was the most memorable point of the entire the entire season. The, the singular game. most memorable point. Yeah. Oh man. You can, if you can even dig it up, and, and this can, is and this is totally you know improv unprepared. So can, I, can we can we change the question like that? I don't. I'm not sure I could do that. Just moment. Just individual moment. Like when you think of this season, I, 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 what's the what's the first thing that pops in your head? Maybe uh, like tip off between the Jazz and the Pelicans, huh, the NBA like bubble the restart of the bubble. Yeah, yeah for yeah. me it's got to be. I, I, to me, I mean, I was so happy for NBA to come back. Yeah, it's for me. It's got to be Kobe. Like that. Oh, that, oh. It, yeah. I mean, it it would be that if I thought Eddie meant like on the court, but yeah, it would be that. Yeah, it's got to be Kobe yeah. passing away. That that's something that you 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 don't swallow easily. That's the you. Where were you when you found out that Kobe Bryant? Like that's something yeah. that you'll forever remember. That'll stick forever. So, um, if there was a singular moment I had to identify, I guess it would be that. But I'm not sure that's even you know. Not to say that you asked an unfair question, but I mean, like, that's I'm, tough. That's yeah, tough. that's like just like I said. There's so much that happened this season that it's almost you know impossible to say that there's one singular thing. I mean, like we, I mean, on even on the show, right? Like we started, like it feels like ages ago that we started this shit, and yet it was at the beginning of this season mm-hmm. that we started it. And there's so much has happened in between that it's almost unreal, man. It's unreal. It's really crazy. I mean, I was going to answer that. It either had to be the car ride me and you were in Reagan when we got notified that Rudy Gobert tested positive mm. and got all the notifications after about what the league is trying to do, the shutdown, what the Jazz are doing to quarantine players, you know, the entire reaction to that and that whole entire night of just, you know, chaos. And then um, I, I'm, my, my kind of like 1B would probably have to be when the Nuggets beat, you know, the Clippers and, and the kind of... The, the entire avalanche of oh like reaction <laughs> yeah, on, on the internet and on me. Twitter. I mean that that's one of those like that might be the peak of the NBA bubble to me. And and it's funny that yeah. maybe even greater than the championship that like the the kind of collective reaction to all of that was yeah. just Talent, uh, talent didn't hold up there, buddy. No, it did not. It did talent not, it and did culture. Not. You got to salt bay a little and, bit of culture and, in there while you're at it. And I, I do, other than individual moments, I want to point out some, I guess group of moments or just you know not a specific moment but that weekend lebron had before the before you know everything went to crap mm-hmm. against the bucks and the clippers was insane mm-hmm. another one that was insane was were uh dame's two separate runs before the bubble yeah. and after the bubble what after you know kobe passed and that game got delayed and then the game at staples center like dame from there on went completely berserk. And then when he came back in the bubble, he had to will his team. You know, he went berserk again. So th- those were two two guys who, like, just went insane in those two, I guess, separate, I mean, you know, moments. Shit, how about the All-Star game, man? That All-Star shit, game I, I haven't had more fun watching an All-Star game than that shit right there. Yeah. Particularly the fourth quarter, like... 
there I've never seen that many group of people congregate to watch an all-star game usually by the time the fourth quarter people are eating pizza or chips or whatever they go and doing something else people were glued to the screen observing everything that was happening on that court those guys for a brief moment we saw the best basketball players in the world all on the same court at the same time going 110 percent for but a brief moment and and that was amazing and it was super ugly but (laughs) very satisfying at the same time oh yeah um no it is it's definitely crazy that i mean the season is so long that we even forget or at least i almost forgot that the all-star game was this season Mm -hmm. right it's like so long ago but looking ahead um oh i will say miami beating milwaukee I mean, Tilly will probably... No, no, no. Other than Kobe, that's my number one. Man, actually. I, I, I low-key felt like that about the, the Nuggets beating the Clippers just because it was like, you know, yeah. I mean, dude, I mean, shoot. That, those but, are kind of I mean, that That was your season-long, like, prophecy. Yeah, right, bro. <laughs> Julio, you might have popped the cigar after that one, man. Like, yep. Yeah, that was um, a personal championship. Can, can we ask the... Are you, were you going to, um like, do a closeout? Or I was going to talk about looking ahead, but... Do Before we... I mean, maybe want to end the show on this, but I kind of want to ask, like, what is, like, the retro... Like, what do you take away from this season as a holistic product out of everything that's happened? What's the thing that you take away from the 2019-2020 season? We could say that for the end or not. Whatever y'all want to do. Let's do it now. Let's, Let's do, it, do now. it now. Let's do it now. Shoot. That is tough. I don't know. I feel like you thought about this very, very I've it's definitely thought about it. I have notes and everything. I'm very excited to... to spill what I have to say man it's um it's like okay we we all know that LeBron's been at the forefront of the player empowerment movement when we talk about you know player mobility owning the narrative clutch uninterrupted all of that he's been at the forefront of it um of players getting more power and getting to dictate things more and tonight when LeBron made his finals MVP speech like you know he talked about respect he listed off a bunch of people who wanted their respect. Frank Vogel, Rob Palinka, um, Lakers fans, Lakers Nation, da-da-da, all those people that deserve respect. And then at the end of it, he says, and I want my damn respect too. And I'm not even going to talk about Bron, but I think that quote in itself says something poetic about the NBA player in general, specifically black NBA players. Um, because when we think about what we saw this season, we've talked about it. We saw AD will his way to the Lakers, you know, with through clutch and through LeBron. We saw Kawhi Leonard take control of free agency in a way that we've never seen before, where there were stories flying around. No one knew what the hell was going on at the end of it all. Not only did he get to get the team he wanted, but he also got another dude on his team, a a damn near superstar on his team that he also wanted. Um, You got Kobe Bryant passing away and his death resonating in a way worldwide that few deaths ever have in the history of the world. Um, you talk about, you know, after the death of Jacob Blake and NBA team strikes Milwaukee and then the entire league shuts down and then all these sports league follow suit, whether it's the WNBA, whether it's the NFL, MLB, MLS, all of these leagues are following in the wake of what these black NBA players are doing. Um, we saw the players point the finger at the NBA owners and say, we need you guys to do more and they can still do more. I, I've said that on the show before. I think the, the NBA uh, governors they're called now they can be still doing more but the players for the first time that we've ever really seen they pointed the fingers at the owners and said, you guys need to hold up your end of the bargain in terms of supporting what we need as social justice um and as black men so you know my takeaway from this season is that there's no doubt in my mind at this point that this is the most powerful group of black men in this country possibly the world after everything we've seen that these guys, there's no, there's never been anything like it. The guys in in the NBA, they have influence like black men have never had before in the history of the world, and that is going to be the people that change it. Whether it's this specific group of people or NBA players moving forward, guys like LeBron, guys like Kevin Durant, they've laid the foundation that allows NBA players to stand up and be authentically themselves and pursue the avenues that they want to pursue. And stand up and demand things that people prior and people that you know came before them never could demand. Those are going to be the people. When we talk about this change that needs to happen in the country, there's no doubt in my mind that NBA players will be at the forefront of it just because of the power that they hold and the cards that they hold and the fact that they're willing to exert that power upon anybody, including the NBA governors like we've seen. That's what I take away from this NBA season. 
these guys have so 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 much power and they're realizing it and they're using that shit man they are using that shit hmm. well said well said Julio you um, got something I kind of forgot your I hope question. I gave you guys time to think no, I, kind of, <laughs> I kind of forgot your question uh, what's the one thing you take away from this NBA season after everything that's happened Shoot. if you had one takeaway I guess I mean I'll, I'll go tough, ahead bro. Um, it is I think obviously I'm Reagan. You you talk about all this from a, from a very macroscopic level, and that's great. But um, I think when I think about this previous season, um, it could be that I paid a lot more attention to um, like every team around the league, a lot more players around the league, what was happening around the league, maybe more than I did before. But I feel like we've seen more creativity. Um, by the players, by by GMs, by you know coaches, by by everyone around the league, more creativity, um, more ways for basketball to be played schematically, um, just trying things, experimenting with things, um, trying to do anything to gain competitive advantages. I don't think we've ever seen the kind of um, basketball product just from a basketball standpoint be more healthy than it is right now in the league and you know I think about like the Lakers um, playing two bigs and being successful and I think about Daryl Morey and the Rockets trying to go um, totally small and and that really is kind of astoundingly crazy when you think about it that, that's something that no team has ever tried to do before um, you think about the influx of young talent and and uh, specifically talented like guards who know how to dominate the game with you know with with like a control of the ball and with a control of the game like we've never seen before um and um obviously we think of the the veterans that still the veteran superstars that still have like a hold on the game and, and who know how to dominate the game as well and i just think this past season and going forward as well we'll continue to see more executives be creative about building uh, cohesive and you know maximizing the rosters I Game think we'll partners. see yeah. I think we'll see more players um, like play even better and, and and figure out how to you know do this whole basketball thing even better just you know by learning from other players seeing the improvements and I think just as a basketball junkie it's so great to see all of these kind of avenues and offshoots of the game and see like how people are approaching the game of basketball and coming out of it with all sorts of different ways of you know seeing the floor and and, and doing all of these like crazy things on, on on the court and and that to me is like extremely fun just dissecting the game um you know being being like a whole nerd or whatever about it like that, that like that's the stuff that's really cool to me i mean obviously the nba is is so much more than that as well like it's a product it's an agency it's you know entertainment it's a business it's it's all of that and obviously like you know i've, I've talked about it like all of that stuff is important as too but you know at the core of the nba is basketball and from just a basketball standpoint i don't think it's ever been healthier and that's and that's really yeah. great you know what it is it's a renaissance it's a basketball renaissance. My, I, I guess one of my biggest takeaways just goes off of Eddie. Um, there's a bunch of teams who feel like they might have the best player in basketball. Mm. When when I look at the Mavericks, you got Luka. When you got the Bucks, they obviously, you know, Giannis, back-to-back MVP. Lakers got LeBron. Clippers got Kawhi. The Nets got KD. I mean, and they're all in different... I mean, uh, the Warriors have Steph. And, it, you know, it just feels like they're so forgotten. Um, but... Yeah, to me, it's like every team feels like they have the best player on any given night in the world, and they all have different styles. That and that goes to Eddie's point. You know, the you know the Lakers obviously have LeBron, who's a veteran, who plays you know at, at his own beat, at his own rhythm. You know, very half court offense, slow. You know, we have AD obviously, Steph. You know, fast. You know, they they really revolutionized basketball with Clay. Draymond, you know, they're, you know, very fast. He said, you know, Eddie um, about the Rockets playing small ball. KD is just a bunch of ballers on the nets. And, and you know, that's that's what uh, I, I guess, you know, piggybacking off of Eddie's point, I, get, I really do get a kick out of, you know, 
the you know having these debates which, which one you know which team is better which team is better suited which which of these players are you know better than each other top tens and not maybe not you know superficial stuff like that but to me it's the competitive la- landscape of basketball and not to hard back on this parody or, or or discussion but it it just it feels different now going forward rather than you know uh, LeBron, LeBron's Cavs and, and Steph's Warriors. To me, it's just way more, I, I guess, uh, uh, diverse. Yeah, di- diverse with talent, skill, game plans, coaching, and just everything. And obviously, to to uh, Reagan's point, players uh, realizing their their power and what they carry and what they bring to the table. I see more players now going into investment. Uh, developing their own clothing lines, going into real estate, going into social justice, and, and I know we don't really talk about the WNBA, but you know, um, I, I have so much respect for you know what Maya Moore did, mm-hmm. literally like quitting basketball. What uh, and not that you know WNBA players make you know significant amounts of money, but that's her love. You know, that's what she's done all her life. So for her to stop that and go another route, basketball gave her the the I guess avenue the 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 fame that she, maybe that she didn't need but it definitely helped her do what maybe she was meant to you know do when she was brought to this earth um, and, and you know players realizing their power is just so freaking important because you know obviously when, when we look at sport it's so much more diverse than I guess you know you know, rich white kids that get trust funds. And, you know, when you look at these players, they're not just players or, you know, animalistic objects that, you know, keep us entertained. Mm-hmm. They, they can do so much more. And, you know, I can go on and on, you know, lengths about that because, you know, I'm a former player. I don't like how, you know, players can be depicted sometimes by media, by people, how they can be interpreted. So, and to me, you know, players realizing their their uh, power and, and, you know, their avenues and, and, you know, having the ability to take advantage of so many opportunities and, you know, networking and, and getting, you know, all this influence from own or team governors and all that. It's just amazing to see. And I'm glad, you know, you touch on that right Picked a good time to start a basketball podcast, didn't you? <laughs> That's true. And um, on that note, last thing before... We wrap up for this season and go into some off-season coverage, and, and we'll see where we go with that. But first, kind of, not predictions, but Early just... Early pick them? No, not oh. Early oh. Yo, bro, Lakers versus Heat. Run it back, bro. Run it back. <laughs> not, not asking you to be that crazy, although you're giving me ideas. But, um, like, what you want to see next season or what you're, like, most looking forward to see next season, if there's anything in mind. So, so all, all this time we've been saying that the West is so much better than the Heat. And obviously we have teams coming up in the West like the Nuggets and we still have the Lakers, we still have the Clippers. Uh, I just want the Mavs to come up too. So, I mean, there's groups there. But finally, in the East, we have some interesting, you know, and this season we had it too. The 76ers were kind of... You know, disappointing, but man, will we have clashes of and battles in the East, and, and that's just to me, it's just gonna bring the whole NBA together. And you know, I Kevin Durant might not be you know my favorite player, uh, you know, in the NBA, but man, do I admire his skill, and, and I think it's gonna be freaking huge for him to come back, for Steph to come back, uh, um, and. and to me, it's really the development in the East that I'm looking forward to the most, um, and, and that to like really, you know, I I want to be confused at the start of the season. I don't know who the <laughs> fuck is, is gonna win the championship. You know, you feel me? Like I want to be confused. I want to you know not feel confident in my picks. That that's where I love watching basketball. And, and obviously, this you know going back to this series, this series may may not have given it to me so much. But I am so confident that next year and looking forward, it's going to be so many battles and so much uncertainty. And I'm I'm so sure about mm-hmm. that. I would say, and we've kind of touched on this, but I'm looking forward to the changing of the guard. And I'm not even sure that happens next season, but it's inevitable and it's imminent. When we think about guys like Devin Booker, Jamal Murray, 
Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, Trey Young, all of the Zion Williamson, all of these young stars that are so ready to take that next step into superstardom. They're not quite there yet, but we've seen flashes of it. Brandon Ingram, we've seen flashes of it, and they're on the cusp. They're in the all-star range. They're floating there, just waiting for that season to pop off and enter that, that superstar level. So I'm really excited to see the step that some of these guys take yet next year. And I'm sure it's not going to be all of them. Some of them are going to disappoint of us, disappoint us, excuse me. Some of them are going to stay stagnant. Some of them might go backwards. Some of them might get hurt, God forbid. But there's going to be guys who take the next step. Like when we talk about a full year of Zion going 110, playing full minutes, I'm excited for that, man. I want to see some of these young guys go ahead and take the next step. So we see when, you know, LeBron, as, you know, as dominant as he still is, he's on his way out, man. Kawhi Leonard, towards the end of his prime, I guess. You know, he's, what, 20, 30 now, right? He's, like, 31. Somewhere in there. So, like, all these guys are in their 30s. They're on the way out. I want to see these guys on their way in take the next step into superstardom to when we can start identifying. Because there's so many guys around the league that we can point to and say, that's the next superstar, but none of them have entered that level yet, with the exception of Luka Doncic so um, I'm waiting to see like the changing of the guard that's going to happen in the NBA man I'm excited about it I think I have to be a little bit of a homer here and, oh uh, god I think oh, honestly <laughs> and, and I'm biased obviously but I think the league missed the Warriors because um, I don't think any team in the NBA TV ratings for sure <laughs> I mean I don't um, that, that's a whole different argument <laughs> that I don't even want to try to get into um, but I, I legitimately think that there's not really a team in the league that replicates what the Warriors does from a from like an enjoyment, from an aesthetic standpoint. And I hope that, and, and we're not going to get that much more years of, you know, Steph at his peak, um, uh, 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 like Clay. above average Clay and Draymond. They're both, you know, in their 30s now. Um, so hopefully they can stay healthy and the Warriors can be dominant again, not only for myself as a fan, but I think just for the overall health of the league, for you know animosities, for, for rivalries, for fans, for everyone involved, the Warriors um, do something to the league, um, just with their play style, with you know with Steph's play style, with you know the excitement, all of that. Um, that uh, I don't think any other team can quite replicate. It it, it creates a certain kind of like chaos slash excitement that is 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 like perfect for like the nba as a product and for the fans enjoying the game so i think next year um obviously you know it's been so long since we've seen steph and and the warriors play you know truly dominant basketball and i hope to see that next year. yeah i mean if we're picking a a team that you know we look forward to the most to me it's easily the brooklyn nets Mm. i mean the t- I don't I don't really think people understand the talent. Everybody you know touts KD and touts Kyrie. You know and, and you know deservingly so, but the talent that team has. I mean it's it's mind boggling and, and it can I can really see it. And I hope it doesn't because you know I love Kyrie. He's my one of or if not my favorite player in the in the NBA. Um, but I can really see it blowing up, mm. and I I really hope it doesn't. But if I had to pick a team, that's my team to watch because I'm gonna be glued to you know every game that they play next season. They gotta sprinkle a little bit of talent in there, man. But to your point about the Warriors, Eddie, I think the the great thing that's gonna happen next year is that it won't be the Warriors of old, and it'll be somewhat of a you know dulled version of what the Warriors were, and that's good because they're not gonna be as dominant as they were. They won't be going seventy three and nine running through the regular season like it's nothing. You're gonna see them go toe to toe with some of the other great teams in the NBA, and it's gonna make for a really fun product, man. It's gonna like when we think about the Western Conference one through eight, are any of us are willing to stick our necks out and say you know we're gonna count? You know, we're we're gonna make those predictions at this point in time. Obviously, we're not gonna do it, but it's like. That's a crapshoot, man. That is a literal crapshoot at this point. Who's one through eight? Um, but yeah, man, it's it's gonna be a sight to behold. What happens? It's 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 gonna be crazy. It's gonna be crazy for sure. And um, I think that'll do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. But before we go, um, we definitely want to thank all the listeners for tuning into us, helping us grow, really reaching um, heights that we didn't even quite anticipate um, for this prolonged season um and definitely want to give a shout out to everyone who's stuck with us um for the off season we still definitely intend on coming out with content coming up with stuff throughout the 
however long this off season may be. It might even go till March or, or April, but we'll definitely have stuff. And, and you know, we look forward to um, coming to you still two times a week um, as much as possible. First mm. NBA season together. That's uh, that's crazy, man. 3,670. Y'all saw me pull it up. 3,670 people listen to this podcast. Not people, but listens on this podcast over what? The course of over a year? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not great. Maybe it's not like, you know, some of the other podcasts that are out there, but it's ours, man. And I'm proud of it. I'm damn proud of it. Who was your MVP pick? Mine was Steph. For this year? Yeah. That's tough. I, um, I think I, I, mine, mine's with Steph. I think I. I'm honest, pretty. Though I have to pull up my notebook. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure mine was Steph, because I thought he was gonna go insane. And and I, I think I remember. I was like, I kind of do see. Like I could definitely see it, but I think I. God, what did I say? I'm so mad. I feel like you had LeBron. You said aliens would come down in the. <laughs> no, no, no. Because that's what you're talking about ranking players. Yeah. I remember that because the aliens <laughs> come down. I, that's. I feel like that's an iconic moments in the beginning of this show. The alien argument, the basketball mecca argument, Carl Anthony Towns top ten NBA player. Though that shit was fun, man. When me, we first started going at Giannis when James Harden or they were like beefing with each <laughs> that other. That argument, I remember that. I mean, that didn't even feel. We were like in the meat of the show at that point. Oh, like we'd true. known each other. Um, but shit, man, I can't remember who I ended up picking for MVP. I don't remember. I don't know. I mean, we have time to reminisce, but um, uh, before we prolong this episode for any longer again thanks so much for tuning in we always appreciate the support um as always follow us on twitter and instagram at sqr1hoops we hope to put out more fun interactive cool stuff out during this off season um especially for the listeners and um of course thanks again for tuning in we'll catch you next time